Welcome to The Teacher's Story. I'm Jackie Scully. This is a podcast to elevate teacher voice. In this program, you will hear teachers sharing their journey into this profession and their ideas for education. This is about honest, vulnerable, inspiring storytelling. It's a time and a space for teachers to share their ideas for the future of education. Teachers are beautiful beings who give their heart and soul to their community. They're innovators. They're inspirational, not only to children, but to the people around them and they deserve to share their voice. So welcome to The Teacher's Story. Enjoy. Hi, welcome to The Teacher's Story. This is the kickoff of season four. And before I start with the first interview of season four with Anne-Marie Ristow and Katarina Hansens carlson both were guests in season three and they're back on together sharing their uh, wisdom and ideas for education. So before that, I want to read a little bit about what my book's about, The Guided Teacher, and then a message I have for teachers. So I'm going to start with my author's note. Hello, my beloved friends. I'm Jackie Scully, and I'm sharing my story with you to illuminate my journey from being a student to becoming a teacher. The task of putting my story on paper was no small feat. I knew it would demand much of me. I embarked on a journey of healing, launched a podcast called The Teacher's Story, and only after all of this did I feel ready to delve into the deeply personal moments of my life. My dedication to the education system runs deep. Having transversed the public education system from kindergarten through graduate school, I believe in bringing a special kind of illumination to every educational space. Recently, I've been exploring alternative education approaches but my vision extends to all spaces and every child. Together, we can light the path for all our children and generations to come. As you read this book, you'll notice the reoccurring themes of light and shadow. Some parts of my story are shrouded in darkness, others radiate with joy, and some simply showcase my playful side. My father calls my unique phrases Jackieisms, and you'll encounter them throughout my book. Additionally, you'll find song titles and artist names sprinkled throughout the narrative, either at the beginning or end of the passage. While it's not necessary, I believe it would be enjoyable to listen to these songs before, during, or after reading a passage to get the sense of the time period and my emotions during those memories. Music, after all, holds incredible power. Towards the end of the book, following my story, I present you with a curriculum of Craft It titled Connected Consciousness. You don't have to delve into it immediately, but I highly recommend reading my entire journey first. It will provide you with the why behind the curriculum and my vision for this implementation in all schools. My life's journey from being a student to becoming a teacher has led me to shape this curriculum, offering a glimpse of how we can infuse light and joy into all educational settings. This outline is just the beginning. In the near future, I plan to develop a comprehensive curriculum to share with schools and families. It is my belief that every child can unlock their true potential in various educational environments, be it public, private, online, homeschool, or micro school settings. Thank you for embarking on this journey with me. Sharing my heart and soul with you means the world to me. This is my love and my light with warmth, Jackie. So that's just a little bit about the book and my note at the beginning. And then I just want to read my message to teachers, because this is basically like my love letter to all of you. My message to teachers, this was a message I had to give to myself. My beloved teachers, you pour your heart and soul into your profession. 
You care so much about kids and you put their well-being before your own many times. I know this and I see this because I have and continue to do that myself. After the pandemic, teaching virtually and hybrid and being pulled in many directions, the burnout was real. It was time to put down my foot and say, enough. We all had enough. When does society focus on our well-being? That is the classic saying, put on your oxygen mask before you put it on others. Well, we have been out of oxygen masks for quite some time. In fall 2021, something broke open in me and I decided to use the word no. It seems so trivial and easy to say, but for many teachers, it is one of the hardest things to say. When I was spent and felt like I could not do one more thing, I said no. I did my job. I cared about kids. I even offered new initiatives and I was a team player, but I could not tackle one more huge role or project unless it was something that pulled at my heartstrings. I worked on doing as much as I could in the actual workday between the hours of 7.45 to 3.45. And rarely do I take homework now. I don't want to or need to have a badge of burnout. So for teachers, here is something I had to work on. Boundaries are important. Draw the line at the end of the day and cut it off. The grading will always be there. The lesson plans, the meetings, the emails, the constant feedback, but you don't need to take it home anymore. Eat a good breakfast, take breaks, actually do something for you on your lunch break or free periods. Get to school and leave school at your contract times and leave work at work. Go home, be with your family, work out, do whatever you enjoy, eat a good meal and relax with a TV show, movie, book, or hobby. Enjoy your hobbies when you get home. Fill your cup because each day you have to go into a workplace where you pour so much of you into so many people. If you love that, like I do, then you need to fill your cup so that it's overflowing. Otherwise, you will be empty and give nothing to your students, colleagues, and family. Do your job, love the kids, be open-minded and innovative. Keep pushing yourself to try new things in the classroom and just know you have one of the most important jobs in the world. These kids need you and they need you healthy and whole. I love you all and you are some of the most special people in my life and in the world. And I am here along with all the other guests that I have had on this uh, podcast for the last almost two years to support you. And so feel free at any time if you ever wanna reach out um, and share your story or just want to make a connection, you can find me on LinkedIn, Jackie Scully, M-U-D, and on social media like Instagram and Facebook, Jackie.cscully, um, and my website's Jackie C. Scully. So thank you all for being on this journey and being um, continual listeners to these beautiful stories, and I hope you enjoy the first episode of season four. Happy New Year, everyone. Hi, welcome to the teacher's story. This is Jackie Scully. And today we have a very special episode because I have two former guests on that also have met and have been collaborating. We have Katarina and Anne Marie. And Katarina has her founder, she's the founder of Global Leadership Schools. And she's also the CEO of Destiny International 11. And I love to hear more about her developments through 2023 and her vision into 2024. And Anne-Marie has C Incorporated, and C stands for Systematic Equity Edits, and talks a lot about like the cognitive work that we can do um, to break down some of these barriers in our thinking. So I love that you two have been collaborating and talking to one another, and we're having you know this con conversation again on the teacher story. So welcome. Thank you. 
Thank you. Thank you, Jackie. So I'll start with Katerina. Tell us a little bit about more about the work you're doing currently and maybe like what you're looking into doing in the new year. Okay. So finally, things are getting really exciting. I've been excited for 20 years and I haven't uh, lost my motivation, but things are getting, you know, there's a saying when the rubber hits the road, it's like, now we're really starting and um, our vision is to transform 195 schools, one school in one town in every country in the world. So that's 195 schools. And how we're going to do that is we're creating a team of 20 coaches right now. And those coaches will learn to be and train to be global leadership schools, um, teachers and coaches, and go into schools and actually help young people in that entrepreneurial journey. So it's really, really exciting. Um, so what problem we're solving? It's uh, Dr. George Land um, did a, a survey on over a thousand children and found that they, when they started school, they were at 98% creative genius. By the time they were teenagers, it was down to 12%. Mm. So something's not working in schools, that's clear. Um, uh, so Ken Robinson said the same, not enough creativity in schools. So we, it needs to be much more child-centered, much more centered on the future because the future for our children is getting more and more complex. So they need to know, number one, who am I? Number two, what am I up to? Number three, what's stopping me and how can I reframe that? And number four, what is my vision and purpose? And um, just recently there was a, um, a video on this, that schools, the purpose of school should be purpose. And I totally agree with that concept. So um, what's new? is that we finally have a budget of $20,000 to go into Google ads to advertise for coaches and then to mm -hmm. schools, to, um, thank you, <laughs> to uh, principals, to teachers, and then finally to parents, because there are some parents who say, I'm not happy with my schools, um, with my children's school. I would like to help my child as much as possible so that's what we're up to right now this is so big and I love that this vision of 195 schools right and you are touching the whole world so a city in each country in the school and the money right the funding we've talked about this like you can have these wonderful ideas you can have a plan but if you don't have the funding it just kind of falls flat so the fact that you're actually able to get that funding and see this become a reality is really great. And I have just been following a lot on even just Instagram recently. And a lot of people are talking about the same thing you're talking about is that children are losing this, this sense of inspiration, this light by the time they're even in like upper elementary school and to go from 98% to 12% by the time you're in high school. I mean, that that is a huge, huge drop. Um, 
and we've been talking about this before on this on this podcast and I, I write about it in my book and but now I hear more people talking about it there's more people actually exposing this truth that children are they're miserable and they don't see their light and they get to high school and they just see that they're checking boxes and they're basically kind of just doing something that their parents are telling them to do or that society's telling them to do. Not all, but many of the students are doing things that they feel like that's what's expected of me in my culture, in my family, in my community. And I don't know how much they're tapping into really who they are. And that's sad because by the time they're out of college and they could also have debt from college, they could just be lost. And like, what did they gain in all of those years in school? It's just kind of like a big waste of time. So I love what you're doing. And I love that now there's funding to back these goals. Thank you for sharing that. And Anne-Marie, um, share with us what you've been working on this year in 2023 and plans for the new year. Yeah, absolutely. We are, we kind of orbit in our world of education here and support each other in the work that we're doing. So that vision and purpose really stands out for me. Um, I started out in 2023 with a bang. Like we had our second year of a multi-year research project that we've been doing on equity consciousness and getting some very interesting insights from hundreds of people across the globe, every continent except for Antarctica. Um, is represented and different walks of life, which I love and found that very insightful information to then develop some resources to go along with that equity edits, just to help people start to have some of those uncomfortable conversations or grapple with some thoughts that they don't know how to um really digest and change, but they have enough of a, a seedling is all we need, right? Of, um, of thought on the idea of change. And so between the research and the um, resource and doing the focus groups and getting insights for that and, and publishing that on the website, um, I've been doing a lot of writing now. My commitment was to then follow through with some micro books on equity consciousness itself and then the tendencies that we tend to have, which is having like um, the idea of rationalization or normalization, deficit view or diversity erasure. Um, really important for us to be able to recognize our place with those tendencies. And what's interesting from the research is um, um, Katrina talked about the problem that they were solving, which is phenomenal. We're looking at mindsets, right? And the research is telling us that about um, nearly 90% of those who participated and by year two, we had almost 750 people participate and we're at almost a thousand with year three. Mm -hmm. um, and nearly 90% believe in change and that we're capable in this world to have that change. But um, within that 90%, there's an average of about 30% across the years of the study that people are not recognizing their own blind spots. They're not rec recognizing what they're not seeing. And so in helping people see things differently, we can work with that, right? 
um, bringing in some additional resources and tools will be the focus moving forward. Um, and I couldn't be more proud of the work that we're doing and the impact that we're able to have. So it, um, a little bit of a transition because I had been doing a lot of consulting with different organizations. And now with focusing on um, the writing and getting that information out for the third year study, um, this year is going to be a little bit more behind the scenes, um, less consulting and, and more resource development, because it really is about breaking down those barriers mm -hmm. for those who are historically marginalized. And I think that has huge impact on things like the work that um, Katerina is doing mm -hmm. with designing those creatives um, for the schools. It's, you know, we don't even recognize the power of our language, body language, words, um, the way that we, the tone we use when we have that huge responsibility in an educational setting to help children recognize the value that they have and that they don't have to fit into a mold, which mm. um, in a lot of ways our education system has become. And we missed, we missed a huge opportunity with COVID. I think we spoke about that before. <laughs> I think that um, it was an opportunity to reflect and um, make some changes, but I'm so excited to see the work that like Katarina's group is doing and that we're doing and that you're doing, Jackie, um, in making sure that we're being a voice for those who aren't being heard right now. Yeah. Thank you so much. And I can see this connection already, which kind of yeah. moves into like the next part. But I could see the work of the cognitive piece and leadership go hand in hand because you need to have leaders in schools who know that type of work and know how to, you know, train their their faculty to work with kids on looking at the framing, the their mindsets that they have about each other, about their community. Mm -hmm about themselves. And I like the uh, focus on language, like not just language with words, but body language. I think we're in a place now where we're recognizing the things we've been doing for so long that don't work and kind of moving away from just like PC versus like non-PC, you know, and keeping it so black and white, but these like very minute, small things that we do all the time that will affect our mindset and we don't realize it. So like you mentioned, you know, 90% of people want to see change, but 30% don't recognize actually what they're doing that is keeping them stagnant. And so that is critical is that you could want the change, but then you also have to do the work <laughs> to have that change. Um, so coming back to your connection, either one of you who want to kind of chime in first about how both of you met and then kind of like that initial kind of conversation and what you've been, you know, sharing with each other there. Yeah. So we, um, I do recall that there was some interaction in a chat from a post and, um, we saw each other for a little bit and then reached out. I don't remember who reached out first, but the important thing is we connected over zoom and, um, that was, you know, how you, you set up a 30 minute or 45 minute 
um, time to connect with someone. And I think we were at least an hour and 15 minutes into it. And we were like, we have to go. We're like, we, we, we've got <laughs> trickling meetings backing up now, you know? And it was over that, um, that belief of our global citizenship and responsibilities, right? And how children come to the platform of an educational system outside of their education from home, because, you know, from birth, they're learning from the, the moment they come out of the womb, they're learning. Um, we just get to have them for the majority of the day when we're in an educational system, right? And so we had those conversations about um, how sad it is that kids come in with eyes wide open and ready to step into anything. And within the system that they're trying to be fed and grow, they're actually in many ways being stifled. And, and where is that? You know, if we had the million dollar answer, um, we would be able to like have greater impact. But what we have is that cognitive connection, right? What happens neurologically for our students when they have that look that may not even be intentional in their direction, but is taken in a certain way or the tone of something or just the directive that learning can be delivered in. And so we really started talking about um, how, in, how essential it is for children to have the opportunity and for adults to just, um, I believe in the ability of the adults and I believe in the intention of the adults. I just think that you don't know until someone has pointed out, you know, if you can see it, then you can be it. And so we had a lot of conversation around that in how do you then step in? And I'll let um, Katerina continue on because she is working more on the ground with those, with that goal of the 195 schools and doing. Thank you so much. Yeah, lucky we were meant to meet, and it's 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 becoming exponential. It's be, it's it's the the more focus we put in our vision, in our mission, the more we attract absolutely amazing people, and they come like every day. They're coming every day to me now, so I have lost track of you know who, <laughs> who I, I know who I'm connected with. I don't know how I'm connected with them, but I I don't I don't question that. But anyway, um, Anne-Marie, that is really, really essential. I mean, uh, Sir Ken Robinson presented the problems and he had, he had in education, he had thousands and thousands and thousands of viewers, right? So did Sir George Land. So we are now coming up with solutions. So what are the solutions? Number one, to recognize the genius in children from zero to six, they're linguistic geniuses. They should not, in Sweden, often they just play at play school. They could be learning three languages and languages are fun for children. They're just games, you know, and you could learn languages through a game and then it can, it can serve you later on as a leader, as an entrepreneur, whatever your career is, three languages are always useful. 
Then by the age of seven, it's time to start your entrepreneurial journey because seven-year-olds are so unlimited. I met one seven-year-old in, in Stockholm when I was on holiday uh, in the archipelago. And I said, what are you going to do when you, when you grow up? And he said, well, I'm going to be an astronaut and a doctor and I'm going to, I'm going to learn sign language. And I said, are you going to do that all at once? You know, like an adult would like be a little skeptical. Of course, I'm going to do it all at once. You know, of course I am. And I'm going to start now. I've already started actually. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. <laughs> so they were already unlimited. And we, the last thing we need to do is to limit their dreams. So with this young boy, it would be, okay. So what can we do to help him become an astronaut? What can we do to help him with sign language? What can we do to help him become a doctor? Maybe he should have extra biology classes. So I believe that every child from the age of seven, at least, should have a brilliance profile. And we're creating an app around that. What is Jackie's brilliance. She's seven years old and she loves school, right? And she's enthusiastic. And we know her strengths. We know what she loves. We know what she does at weekends. We know what she loves to do in her spare time. And that is the key to her brilliance. What about her weaknesses? Well, who cares? Unless Jackie cares. So if Jackie has one weakness and she decides, okay, I'm going to do something about my spelling. I'm just making this up, Jackie. <laughs> I'm going to do something about my spelling, and I'm going to be the top of the class next next um, term. And this is what I'm going to do about it. Mm. Or, who cares how I spell? I'm just going to go on ChatGPT <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> yeah. So you would. So Jackie would have her entrepreneurial vision, her brilliance profile from the age of seven, and then go through the entrepreneurial journey, finding out if she's a visionary, an organizer, a marketer, getting together in cooperation with other children, with her vision, with what really drives her, and then make all the mistakes in school, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Because of course, you're not gonna be using money, you're gonna be using points in schools, but by the time you're 17, Jackie, you have an income for life because you have a, a website, you have a landing page, you have a way of selling your service or your product. And that should be useful for every single child, whether they decide to be an actress or a dancer or a singer, they would have sustainable income and they need to learn about money. They need to learn number mm -hmm. one about themselves emotionally. So emotional, emotional autonomy and financial autonomy in schools. I love that. That to me, that makes so much sense. Like this doesn't seem like we can't do this right now. And I know that's something that you're like really working on with this app. And then with your, your schools that you're envisioning is that tapping into their excitement. <laughs> they're excited when they're young, like children do have this sense of I'm limitless. Like I can do whatever I want. And instead of going, that's great. Like you're going to be an astronaut when you're older, but we're still going to go back to the old school system. And you're going to go through five different subjects in a day. And you might spend this amount of time on science, even though that's what you're into and nothing to do with like actually preparing you for that role. Um, and I think setting up a profile 
that a student can say, this is my strengths. And if there's areas of improvement I do want to focus on because it can be helpful here, great. If not, then I'm going to continue to focus on my strengths. It allows them to have agency. It allows them to have self-reflection about who they are. This is brilliant. I think this app would be so powerful in schools. Like I would use it. I would love to use it. Like we have an advisory program. And if we started at least in the advisory program where we meet with like a small group of students once a week saying, we're going to start this brilliance app. We're going to find your brilliance. And then we're going to use this to weave that into an entrepreneurial project and then making space, of course, in the school day for that, which means we're not teaching all the subjects and they're not just going from class to class to class to class. You need time to let things marinate, to let the creativity come out, to research, to spend some time working on your, your cognitive, you know, piece. And so I always like talk about that on the show is that my passion is breaking down these schedules, these, these tight, tight schedules in school that don't really serve us anymore. I don't think they served us at all because we're just a hamster on a wheel doing a bunch of things. And if you really want a child to find their brilliance, if you really want a child to work on their cognitive work, you, you need time, you need space, you need quiet, you need reflection, and then you need guidance from, you know, teachers who could be just like the facilitators instead of like, I'm just this expert in a subject area. Um, mm-hmm. This is very doable. And I'm really glad that you are creating this, um, this program, this app. And this is why I bring... People on this show, I just want to keep talking about it and informing people that this is out there and it's happening. They're not even just ideas now. You both are doing it, like you're doing the work. So I want to kick it back over. And Marie, if there's anything else you want to share. Yeah, because it is huge for teachers to facilitate learning in that way. Inquiry doesn't just happen overnight. And so when we talk about students' brilliancy, what I love about the age that Katarina is proposing like beginning that with is developmentally kids are so ripe through the experiences that they have or don't have. So a couple of things that I jotted down while she was speaking was about the brilliance, the failure rates, right? And then you had mentioned the emotional autonomy because what we tend to do is box students into um you have this potential, but when we look at that, it's like potential is limitless. You know, we're the ones limiting by putting them into a box and saying, this is what you can do. When we look at that nature and nurture component and how we can um, either expand or um, restrict what's available for kids just in the way that we interact with them in Mm -hmm. an educational setting. And so failures, when I fail and it becomes a public scrutiny for me as a child, I learn to just shut down when that happens. And that's such a missed opportunity for my learning. And then also with the brilliance piece, it's looking at, um, our own awareness of the role of opportunity for students who have different lifestyles and come from different means and how their brilliance can grow and expand 
through experiences like field trips or guest speakers or um, bringing in now. We have so many opportunities to bring in through the streaming services and the videos, um, different exposures that many of us wouldn't have. You know, the kids in Florida didn't know what a blizzard was. They thought it was an ice cream from an ice cream shop. And you bring in a video and turn your classroom into a snow experience, they have now that tactile experience, that visual experience. They can speak to people who um, work in the um, snow plows and like work in, in areas where there is a lot of snow and, and that expands what they can do. So when you talk about then their brilliance, they can bring the, that information into and not live inside that box that's been set for them. It's really an incredible opportunity. Mm. I, I remember when we um, first met, Katerina and I spoke about um, education and how important it is and how it shows both of us in different ways. Mm -hmm. You know, it became our path. And um, it was not a, for me, for sure. I, sh I shared, it was not, a, I didn't go willingly, you know, <laughs> like, like by the time I was in high school, I was going in the entrance of the school and out the back of the school with whoever had a car and would skip class because it, it provided me with nothing more. I was not a social being. I was very much an introvert. I had few, very close friends. Um, I didn't have a lot of challenge academically. And so I, and I came from a line of, I'm the youngest of five. And so I had a lot of um, preconceived ideas of what I was going to do or not do based off of my siblings. And so there was a lot that I just um, removed myself from at that point, right? And thought I'll seek elsewhere, what I'm looking for, my ability to contribute and whatnot. And, and I had shared with Katerina, I, I received a scholarship and I didn't even know. One of my um, English teachers had seen something in me that I didn't see mm -hmm. and had put me up for a scholarship that was for education. And um, I didn't even go to the awards ceremony because none of it meant anything to me because I didn't have that sense of belonging so I love when you speak about emotional autonomy because that was me as a kid. I didn't have that um, in that setting. And so um, education just kind of became like, I got so caught up in development and looking at, you know, at that time, neurosciences wasn't big, um, readily available, especially for us in education. And so, but child development was. So looking at how we develop as human beings, I just went from that child development perspective to um, adults in that breakdown of the creativity and the spark and the fervor. You know, I was totally into it because that was me. I, I was, it was like, I was learning later if I had been able to learn that, you know, as a child and guide myself through, it would have been amazing. But um it is that like everything brings me back to education and I'm so grateful for it at this mm -hmm. point in my life um, because 
it might not be what is considered the norm, especially in North America, but um, there are people that you have available now that you can get on a Zoom call across the globe and have really insightful conversations that are gonna impact in whatever ways the world that our kids are um, growing up in when it comes to learning. And, and that's an incredible thing to be a part of. Yeah, thank you for sharing that personal story. Some of that you shared before when you were on um, and I will be linking both of your episodes in the show notes. So, and I'll plug more at the end of our conversation so that, you know, the listeners can hear all of your story, but the, some of that, I didn't know about your time in school. And I, I resonate with that too. Like I felt uh, I was more introverted in school and here's the thing too. And I talk about this in my psychology class language and how we have positive and negative connotations to things. So for a very long time, introvert was very confused considered more like negative, like, oh, well, that means you're not social. You don't have friends. You can't be a leader. You know, you don't want to be involved with, you know, all these opportunities. And that's not the case at all. It's just really an energy level. But it was the same thing. Like school didn't provide anything socially for me and it wasn't challenging. And so I was kind of bored and just kind of jaded from it. I mean, I went to a very big public school too. So it was just like, got lost in the numbers, but it was the same thing. It's like, you think about the wasted time, which I mentioned before, and like Katarina like talked about zero to six, right? And how we should be really having kids be lit, lit up and passionate and seven really building on that. And we're just wasting a lot of that energy. Like, you, you know, if you look at neuroscience and brain development, your brain is just developing rapidly through those childhood, especially preteen and, you know, teenage years. And that's when they're in this boxed K through 12 system. And then by the time you're in your twenties and your brain is already like now fully developed, now you're like, Ooh, now I'll be an entrepreneur. <laughs> now <laughs> I'll try to learn all these languages. Now I'll, you know, and, and it's hard. It's hard to do that. Like I'm 41 and I didn't crack something open in my creativity outside of just being a teacher until I was 40. You know, it's, it just seems like it's such a waste of time that if you unlock the potential in a child throughout that K through 12 experience, wow, like you're going to have amazing humans who are flourishing, who are incredible leaders in the world. So this is, I mean, education and what we're doing and what we're talking about is global citizenship. And it's, it's being a futurist. It's like, we are, we are doing this now to plant the seeds because we care about the future of this world. We see the shape of the world right now, not good, right? There's a lot of things where we need inspirational, creative, um, globally minded citizens who are leading these next generations. And we we have to be shaping our educational spaces like that. Um, but yeah, I think this is a, a very transparent, truthful conversation about how important it is because we're wasting a lot of time and not only wasting time we're create I think we are perpetuating the mental health crisis like I I will say we are all accountable of it we're all accountable adults are accountable um because a lot of these kids are falling through the cracks they're not getting the support that they need and mm -hmm. we're 
we're reactive instead of proactive. So reactive of like, well, now how do we treat children? Still talking about, you know, medicine and therapy. Well, no, inspire them, bring them on board and have them hone their brilliance. And then that is being proactive. So it can combat, you know, this mental illness crisis doesn't mean that doesn't still exist, but I think it's exasperated because we're actually just perpetuating the problem. We're not doing anything to tap into their brilliance. So, um, well, and when we're living in a time where, um, the adults that are the mentors and modeling for the students are so overwhelmed and so filled with anxiety and that seeps into their childhoods as well. Right. And, and I think about, um, I asked my granddaughter, she's four, she'll actually be five. I keep saying she's three cause I don't want her to grow up, but she's been my granddaughter who is four. I ask her the same questions that I asked my own children. And that was about what did you learn today? Cause we learn everywhere and what brought you joy. And, um, most days, unfortunately she doesn't connect to what she's learned. She, um, she was very excited the other day because with the holidays, she learned a Christmas song that she didn't know the words to, but she's one of those children who's fortunately like she has this ability. She's picking up on her letters. She's picking up on her reading on her own. Right. So I'm like, tap into that. That's so much opportunity there. And so then when I ask her about the joy in her life, she is very social in school, but she has a lot of imaginary friends. And so she picks up on, they read a story about rockets. And so she came home and we researched rockets and space and astronauts. And we built, there's a eight foot rocket out, made out of boxes that she's now like um, decorating based off of the planets that we're visiting in it. And um she has those opportunities at home, but why can't she do them at school? Mm -hmm. Right. Why isn't it? She's not the only child who has that inquisitiveness. And um, why does she have to find her imaginary friends to um, help fulfill that, you know, mm -hmm. the keep the spark going? Why, why can't we build environments? So I am a huge, huge supporter of, um, doing work in our early years because I think it's foundational and we need to learn from that those ages and read you know tap into what it is that um, allows them to continue to be so free and understanding and we know um, neurologically what's happening at that time frame and how we are impacting it positively or negatively. The, the subject of joy, Anne-Marie, because we need to bring joy into schools, mm -hmm. for sure. Because children start off with joy. They have so much enthusiasm. Mm -hmm. They have so much joy. I went to, uh, to school thinking that my, my teacher was going to discover me. And I think I'm not the only one. You know, discover my brilliance. And so I waited and waited and waited and nobody discovered my brilliance. <laughs> I had to discover it myself. It took me 20 years to discover it and to deprogram myself because 
Anne-Marie, you mentioned that you had resistance to going into education, schools, and all that. And, and we had a conversation, I remember it, that I didn't want to either. I was, I was asked from within to do this work. And, I, and my first reaction was, no way. There's no way. I, schools are boring. I don't want to have anything to do with them. No, 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 no. And then I talked to myself later, and the answer was yes. And I've never looked back from that. And it's given me so much joy. But we need to bring in dynamic teachers like Jackie back into schools with, and make them unlimited. I've read your book, Jan, Jackie. I love your book. It's all about your story and, and your ideas for, for new schools. And we need to have keep teachers like Jackie, mm -hmm. maybe coach them to be entrepreneurial teachers or linguistic teachers or whatever they love to do. But look at what brings the teachers joy, because there's nothing worse than a boring, joyless teacher, Absolutely. you know, and we've all been through that, you know, and maybe they, they can be our least favorite or our most favorite teachers, but it doesn't matter what teachers need to be is dynamic. And if they're not dynamic, what are we doing in the classroom? Yeah. Well, and I do think that there's also value in looking at the teacher training and the systems that teachers work in, because I do think that it is um, an opportunity to reveal their voice yeah. and, and their ability to be dynamic. I don't think that um, I don't think we give teachers enough credit of how well they walk within the political system. And unfortunately, um, sometimes that means that our students end up getting the short end of the stick. Um, but I do think that there's opportunity to sit down and say, so what would you want to learn? you know, in, in this area, how, how would you want to approach it if the sky was the limit and then make the sky the limit, you know, like <laughs> make it limitless for them, change the systems for them to be able to offer the creativity and open the brilliance of the students and, and be brilliant themselves and not continue to have their lights dampened as well. Um, and then I think that when you take that approach, um, it as in any organization, anyone who's not in, interested in that, like if they are so disconnected from life itself, then so be it. They can go on and contribute in different ways. Um, there's not a place anymore for it. But instead of it becoming um, robots, I feel like sometimes yes. educators are expected to check themselves out at the door and just go into these routines that they don't necessarily welcome. It's just becomes the job then instead of the passion and yes. the love. I know. I love that. And I was thinking with the Brilliance app, I think that Brilliance app would be great for teachers as well, because mm -hmm. I think what happens just as much as kids don't feel seen, they don't feel like they have something special to offer to community many teachers feel that way. They feel boxed in. I mean, so if they had the same faculty take this brilliance, you know, profile and say, here's the brilliance profile of this, you know, teacher, 
and the students, and we're doing this together in community. And I think the teachers working with the students saying like, let's build this together. Let's do it together. My vision for the future of the education system is the, the teachers and the students or adults and the you know learners doing this hand in hand and working at it together and breaking down the whole model of top down, right? Mm -hmm. Government running school boards, school boards running superintendents, superintendents running principals, principals then running department chairs, teachers, students. I mean, the whole thing is top down and it's about control. Mm -hmm. And it's about, you know, just keeping things tight and in a routine. And you have a lot of lifeless teachers that often will say, I got this many years to retirement. And it's sad to me because not only are they sad adults, but they're the ones in front of our children. And that's mm -hmm. what they're getting. They're getting this lifeless. And, you know, I don't want to blame the teachers, but it's the system that's created it, but we got to crack it open. And we need to start having faith in the teachers and their ideas and being able to shape a new type of way of doing school because they can do it because there's a lot of brilliant, brilliant, dynamic, creative teachers, especially the young ones who unfortunately will leave, you know, under five years because mm -hmm. then they're like, I can't stay in this system anymore. And a lot of them are creating new schools and new ways of doing it. But mm -hmm. the teacher training programs, definitely we need to, to change it in a way to say like, where's your autonomy? Where's your creativity? What can you create when you get into these schools? How do you have a voice? Um, yeah, there, there needs to be a bridge, definitely, because bridge, my yeah. experience with um, being a mentor teacher and having new teachers come in and relinquish control of the classroom to them for a portion of the time. And I had so many that just were like, they would see what it would take for me on a regular basis to be able to bring the brilliance out in the kids and um, juggle the dynamics of the politics of the profession and the 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 culture in the building the culture of the um, district we were in you know all these different elements and they were just like can't do it like I can't I can't tap into my joy with the amount of what it takes from me kind of experience for many of them. And so what if we had a bridge between um, being able to give them this open door of learning at the university to be new teachers and then how to, what part of the systems actually have the authority? Because when you're a new teacher, you know, you're just like, okay, I want to keep them. I want a job, right? <laughs> yeah. I want to be my, I came into this because I love kids, but I need to be able to keep my job. And so everything that everybody says as a definitive, this is a must you're trying to do. And as you're trying to jump through all those hoops, you're losing that love and that passion that you brought to the profession. And, and then you're like, mm, you know, I, I mean, I had, um, one of my, one of my student teachers went and she became a trainer at a gym and that's what she, you know, because she just, mm -hmm. she could have the accomplishments. She didn't have all the rigmarole. Um, her energy wasn't zapped. You know, there was just a lot of reasons, 
but she also didn't get to have the impact with the students, yeah. right? Yeah. Like she's missing out on that. I don't yes. know where she is now today, but um, so so I think that there is something to be said for bridging higher ed and yeah. K. I've always kept my feet in both. Always, um, I thought when I did my doctorate that I wanted to only be a university professor at that time, um, and I f- feel like the doors that it opened up and the interactions that um, other roles at university have with um, K-12 really allowed me to get a fuller picture where Mm -hmm. I'm better as an instructor in higher ed when I'm working with um, teachers in training, um, especially when I work with teachers who want to focus on exceptional education. Mm -hmm. Um, And then I'm also better when I'm in the K-12 system working with teachers or working with students because um, I've learned how to recognize what part of the systems we have to adhere to and what part are just this big scary monster in the closet (laughs) that that isn't going to come and get you. Right. Mm-hmm. If you allow a child to interact with their reading in a little bit of a different way. Yeah. Um, and, and, and that takes a lot of years and it also takes some bravery that I didn't realize that I had. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Thank you so much. Anything else, Katarina, you want to share before we wrap up today? This has been such a stimulating conversation as I knew it would be bringing you two together. <laughs> Well, I'd just like to leave you with um, an image, a picture, a dream that there's um, a group of young entrepreneurs creating a skateboard and the phone rings and it's their parents saying, it's seven o'clock, dinner's on the table. Where are you? We're at school and we're having a great time. Well, come home. No. You bring the food here, mom and dad, because this is what we're going to do. And we need to share this with you because we're so excited. We can't, we can't, we can't leave school. So that's one picture. Mm. And the other picture is 194 schools. You can, this group with a skateboard can reach out to 194 other schools, learn different languages, do exchanges, so that the whole world becomes a dynamic center of education. Mm, I love that vision. Yes. And that we're all connected and learning from each other all exactly. over the world. That's, yep. Competition, cooperation, yep. and collaboration. Yes. Yeah. And that's where we're moving into. So thank you. That was a really beautiful image to end this conversation. So anything you want to share about your contact information, I'll put in the show notes, um, either you know, website, where's best social media to find you. And I'll plug also your episodes from the previous seasons in the show notes as well. Katrina, if you want okay, to share first. Um, the, the best way to reach me is on LinkedIn, Katarina Hansen's Carlson. Yeah, LinkedIn is great for me too. And it's actually under see things differently. And um, then the website is um, seethingsdifferently.org as well. 
and that's where all my updated resources and everything land. So, um, and I'm always open, like my email's available on both. And I love to start conversations and jump in Zoom and um, hear what everybody's doing because it just helps me grow and feeds me as well. Yes, these are two wonderful leaders in education you want to connect with. They are very open to sharing ideas. You can see there is a lot of light, a lot of inspiration. And this is why I am just so fortunate to have you both on today. So thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. I think 2024 is going to be a big year. I think we're all moving and shaking in different ways in the educational space. Definitely. Thank you. Yeah, exactly. Happy Christmas, everyone. Yes. Bye. Bye. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to The Teacher's Story. If you like this story, please subscribe and leave a review. You can also follow this podcast on YouTube and subscribe and leave a comment. All reviews help this podcast keep going and elevating teacher voices.